This week, we are here to talk about, uh, any guesses? There you go, yeah, nice. The Sunday School Answer, it's always out there, you just have to search for it. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series, and the new sermon series is called Go. If you remember all the way back to the before times, before COVID, that is, uh, in January, we had a town hall meeting, and I said, there's one word that I would like WordServe to remember this year, and that word is move. And several people looked at me like, what? I was like, well, because some point in this year, I think we're going to move, physically move, because as our rent contract ends up here and, and we're looking at a rising scale, uh, we want our dollars to go towards ministry, not to rent. So hence all the, the perturbations that have gone on and we are moving. Next month we'll be over at Ful First Fulcher. I gotta figure out a better way to say that. It's a tongue twister. We'll be over there uh, in their fellowship hall. That will become uh, two churches, one campus, and we'll begin to partner in some of the ministries to get critical mass and to begin to impact the community even better. So I'm excited about that. But here's the thing that I'm even more excited about. When I talk about move, the other thing I said that move means is our hearts need to be moved. Now this was all the way before COVID hit. We had no idea a global pandemic was coming, but just look around the community and you see that there's a need for change. There's, nobody was happy before COVID with the way the world is. I'm certain that people aren't happy with the way the world is now. And I bet it breaks God's heart to see it that way. And it probably breaks Christians' heart to see it that way. And we pray to God, God, please change this world. Please make a difference. Please do something that will make a change. But here's the trick. That something usually involves us. So in this process of four weeks, we're going to talk about go. We're going to talk about movement, movement of our faith. Some of the challenges that happen when you get up out of your foxhole and start taking fire. Things happen. We need to be prepared for that to happen so that when it does, not if it does, but when it happens, we're ready. We've got a plan, and we are not going to be stopped. We're going to go. So here's what we're going to talk about over the next few months. Uh, today is who me. Uh, that's a good one. I kind of wondered that myself. Anyway, uh, grumbling is uh, what's going to happen when we get up out of our foxhole. We're going to maybe wander. Maybe we don't get right to where we want to go. We have to wander a little bit. And then uh, certainly last and certainly not least, miracles. Because in all of this, if we have trained our eyes in advance, we will see God's hand at work. It's really easy just to skip right over that part and go, yeah, I'm glad that worked out. Well, how did that work out? Why did that work out? What's the greater purpose? So we're going to train ourselves to, to be able to deal with all these things because y'all are wonderful people. Don't get me wrong. WordServe Nation, you're the, you're the best, honestly. But we're human, are we not? And so we're going to grumble, and we're going to wander, and we're going to overlook miracles. I don't want that to happen to the degree that it would if we didn't pay attention to it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start with who me. And if all this sounds familiar, can you guess what Old Testament story this is based on? <clears throat> Exodus, Moses, there you go. Yeah, Prince of Egypt, all that good stuff. It, actually, when you look at the Old Testament, it, about any story could <laughs> reflect that. But we're going to talk about uh, Moses and the Exodus. So um, when we say things like, God, do something. I wish you would just do something in this world. Here's the problem that that creates. Somebody needs to do something. So look around the room and everybody point out who is somebody. 
Yeah, yeah there's, the fingers are all over the place. No, yeah, no one person has been assigned to do the one thing. Have you ever sent that email that's like, hey, this thing really needs to be done, and you send it to 10 people, but you don't say who needs to do it? And what happens? It doesn't get done, right. And then everybody's looking at everybody else because somebody's going to take care of that, right? That's what happens when we get general and we say somebody needs to do something. There's too many somebodies. What we need to start looking at is what can I do? And not just what I can do. There's more. Stay tuned. But not everything either. Because although I'm interested and I'm one person and I'm willing to do something, I can't do everything. That's another email you've probably gotten. Hey, this, we need to do everything. And how often does everything get done? Never, right? You need to break it down and, and everybody covers specific things. That's how things get done. We know this intuitively, but somehow we forget when we approach God in prayer and, and maybe even more so when God approaches us in prayer. I, I always say that prayer is not just about talking, it's about listening. So we have to be prepared for what we hear. We have to be prepared to act on what we hear in accordance with what God is telling us. That way, not... Not just somebody, but me, will do something, not everything. Make sense? Man, that was convoluted. I'm so glad Leslie, the English teacher, is not here. All right. So here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, it, is, it is pretty easy to ignore God, is it not? I mean, he gives us this thing called free choice, and I'm, I'm chief among you. I, I ignore him all the time. But Bill, you're a pastor. Yeah, I know. I'm human, too. And I'm, I find it very easy to ignore God. But you know what I find is hard to ignore? Is the world around me, especially lately. Because it doesn't seem to be headed in a direction that's a good thing. I would really like to see that turn a corner and head in a good direction. Because I've got kids and grandkids, and, and some of you do too. And if not, at least I plan to live in that world. And I want it to be something that is a good thing. So how do we do this? We, we need to start thinking about how do, we, how do we respond to God? How do we not ignore his call? Because I have a feeling that it's not God that's not calling. God is still calling. It's just that we're sending a directive voicemail, right? We're, we're playing that game called dodge call, right? Oh, missed that one. Oh, oh, somebody will get that one, right? So we need to, to answer the phone when God calls. We need to stop playing dodge call and maybe something will change. Now, having said all that, we're going to jump into Moses and look at how God used uh, one person and an entire nation to change a people's plight. You're familiar maybe with the story, but if you're not, I want to tell you about this guy named Moses. He was born a slave in Egypt back in the day when the Israelites were slaves under the Egyptian rule. It was not a kind place. It had gone kind of sour. They were working hard, they were uh, not taken care of well, they were treated poorly, and God um, decides that it's time to do something about this. Now, Moses got floated into the Nile River as a baby, right, because they were, they were worried about the overpopulation. They're taking out the Hebrew males, and he was a baby, so his mother kept him as long as she could hide him, and then realized, this is a no-win situation, I gotta do something. So literally floated him in the Nile River, Good thing there's nothing dangerous there, like crocodiles or yeah, anything like that. Um, so anyway, floated right down past Pharaoh's daughter. She picks him out of the water, and all of a sudden she wants to take care of this child. There's all kinds of stuff that happens, but basically here's the bottom line. Moses grows up in the palace as a prince of Egypt. Think about that for just a minute. His people are desperate. They are in poverty. They are enslaved. And here's Moses. 
being raised as a son of a pharaoh in the palace. How, how good a deal did he get there, right? He's got it pretty good. He grows, he does all the things that a prince of Egypt does, like, like I know what that is, I don't know, but he did them. And uh, so, <laughs> so then he gets to the point, we learn that Moses has a little bit of a temper. He's kind of a shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy. Because he sees one of his people being mistreated uh, by an Egyptian, and he ends up killing him. He tries to hide it. They didn't have CSI in those days, so he didn't have forensic countermeasures that he could employ. But he did his best to hide it, and he thought he got away with it. Until he was walking out another day and was trying to break up an argument between two Hebrew people. And they said, what are you going to do, kill me like you did the other guy? Like, oh, well, people know what I did. I, I don't think I can stick around. And sure enough, Pharaoh found out and was coming after him. So he flees, and he goes to this land called Midian, where he gets uh, the, the equivalent of a Walmart greeter job. He becomes a shepherd, because right? that's all there is. Right? He's, a, he's a middle-aged guy, no connections, doesn't know where he's going. He ends up in Midian. He's a shepherd. And he does this for about 40 years, according to the Bible. Side note, when the Bible says 40 years, it might mean 40 years. But it also could mean a really long time. So don't get too wrapped around the 40 part. Just recognize he did this for a long time. So here's Moses, prince of Egypt for the first third of his life, shepherd in Midian for the second third of his life, and then God calls him. And this is fascinating to me because I can't tell you how many people, especially in the roles that I played in churches, um, I'm, uh, they used to call me the cockroach in Kentucky because whenever I walked into the room, people would go... Right, because they knew I was going to ask them if they wanted to do something. Like, hey, would you like to be a part of the group? Okay, come back, come back. So, um, yeah. So when you ask people, uh, they tend to to run away from that a little bit. And I, I've had counseling. I'm better. Uh, I'm getting over that. But anyway, um, Moses is no different in this regard, because God appears to him. He's out in the desert with his sheep. And he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. And that's pretty deep. We might come back and unpack that at some point. But a, burn, a burning bush that does not burn out. And he says, I've got to check this out. And so this is the context in which we explore Exodus chapter 3. See, I've got pictures and everything. You know, funny enough, I could not find a picture, so I had to go with the painting. Because apparently, you know, the internet let me down. I couldn't find a picture of the burning bush and Moses. Um, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have Facebook back then. So moving on. Uh, Exodus 3, starting in verse 5. That's where we'll pick up today. Yeah, I'm just going to turn around and read it because I, well, no, not because the microphone is here. Let's do this. Yeah, I can't see that either. All right. <laughs> we have multiple options. It's all good. So this is what happens. Uh, God says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. Have I gotten to that point yet? Yeah, thanks. There we go. 
and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There was a lot of ites in those days. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God, and for them we are grateful. So Moses asked the same question that everybody asks when God gets a hold of them. Who, me? I mean, who am I? What do I have to offer? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, wants me to do something. Now, a lot of times I learn more about God by what God does not do than what God does do. Let's take a second and look in this passage what God doesn't do, because God's response is pretty quick, but it's not maybe what you think. Because if it were me and I were trying to reason with you by why you should do this thing, I would point out all the reasons that you are the right person for this job. Here's what God doesn't do with Moses. God doesn't mention that, uh, Moses, you were raised as a prince of Egypt. You have had the very finest education in leadership, in logistics, in taking care of large groups of people, in governing those people, in enforcing the rules, and all of those things. As a prince of Egypt, you would know this. So that's why you're the right man to take my people out of Egypt. But he doesn't say that. He also doesn't say that when you go out into the wilderness, there's going to be some trouble. And oh, by the way, when you get to that promised land thing, there might be some fighting. So. It would be great if you were skilled in military knowledge and were a formidable, formidable person yourself. Oh wait, he's prince of Egypt, one of the mightiest armies of the time. And as a prince of Egypt, he would have been schooled in principles of war. And apparently he was a pretty bad dude because he killed a guy with his bare hands. So if military were the problem, then he's still the right man. That's why you need to be that, but he doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. Think about taking hundreds of thousands of people out of an established setting where they have a roof over their head, three meals a day, a place to sleep. Yeah, it's miserable, but somebody's taking care of them. They're being fed. Now take them out in the desert where there is, God forbid, no Chick-fil-A drive-thru, no H-E-B, no cr- I know, right? This is like, yeah, this is the worst. Where are these people going to find food? Where are they going to find water? How are they going to stay together? No wonder they wandered. You know who would be the right person to do all that? Who could help a large group of people stay together and find water in a desert? Right, a shepherd. But God doesn't say that. God doesn't say you're the right man because you're a prince of Egypt, because you're military significant, because you're a bad dude, because you're a shepherd. Here's God's answer. Look at it. It's right here. Verse 12. He says, and God said, I will be with you, period. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to bring the people out of Egypt? And God's answer is, I'll be with you. Let me tell you how shattering that is to every excuse I throw before God. 
because anything that I can think of that rationalizes or justifies why I'm not the guy, all God has to do is say, I will be with you. See, here's the thing. God never sends solo. He's not going to push you out there and leave you all to your own. Now, I know what you're thinking. If, if you're, you're thinking Old Testament, New Testament, how does this apply to me? I'm not Moses. You're not Moses. God hasn't put the call to free the people of word from slavery and take you out into the desert. How does this apply to me? For New Testament Christians, I got some great news. Because there's this thing uh, called the Holy Spirit that was unleashed upon us after Jesus Christ died on the cross, was uh, resurrected and came back and then physically left again. Guess what came back to replace him? The Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's job? To teach you, to remind you of everything that I have said. In other words, I will be with you. God's taken away every excuse we have to not answer his call. He's taken away the whole game of dodge call. Right? We're the only ones that can continue to enforce that. So it's, it's really on us. It's not that he's not calling. I'm convinced that he is. But I'm also convinced that he never sends solos. Earlier on, we had a very scientific poll. We were polling how many people are happy with the world today. Out of everyone here, we had one. Um, so, I mean, I guess I kind of want to spend some time with her because I think I, I could learn something. Um, but we're not happy. We want somebody to do something. I think God's not happy either. Because this isn't the plan. If you read to the end of the book, it looks nothing like this world that we live in. So what's the answer? What do we do about it? Well, we seek God. That's number one. I mean, that's, that's almost a Sunday school answer is Jesus, but it's true. Where else are we going to get the ship righted? Where else are we going to get the proper vector that takes us on the course that God wants, not the one that Bill wants? By listening. And this picture is purposely deceiving. Because I've kept telling you that God never sends solos. And yet, here's a person by themselves seeking God. This is how we do this. This is the American way. I do this myself, in my strength, in my will. I will do this. Actually, think about this. If you want a little dose of humility this morning, God doesn't, have, doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need anything that I bring to the table. He's God. But here's the thing that amazes me. He doesn't need anything I have, but he wants what I have. He wants my heart. He wants a relationship. The creator of the universe wants a relationship with me. That blows me away every time. So here's some action steps that you can take to start uh, not going direct to voicemail and stop playing dodge call. All right. So... Take time to listen. Or in some cases, maybe it's re-listening. A lot of times we talk about prayer and all the ways that we voice our prayers and the methods that we can pray, but we often don't talk about the listening aspect of prayer. Pure prayer is a conversation. Conversation is two-way. So as you carve out time for prayer, don't just carve out time for talking. Carve out time for listening. Carve out time for contemplating. Carve out time for looking around the world and seeing what's around us and where you might make a difference. So we've got to listen. And then we've got to look. And here's what we look at. Stop looking at our abilities. Start looking at God's capabilities. See, if we try to do this alone, we're going to fail. I am not enough. 
This is something that I, I have learned, speaking of re, I have relearned this lesson time and time and time again. I'm not enough. And if you stop there, that can be very depressing. But here's the rest of the sentence. I am not enough, but we are. We being me and God. We being the community called WordServe. We being the broader community of brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not enough, but we are. That should be encouraging. That should be exciting. That should be motivating. That's an invitation to an adventure. That's not depressing at all. As long as we stop looking at our abilities and start looking at God's capabilities. If we do that, by the way, you've heard the phrase, I've mentioned this before, the idea of magnifying God. How could I possibly make God, the creator of the universe, bigger? Well, it's not to make God bigger, it's to make him more evident. As more of us reflect the character of God, we are magnifying God. That's the good news. The bad news is, if we don't, if we try to do this of our own accord, we're actually making God look smallest to people around us. So when you think about what kind of witness do we have, what kind of outreach do we have to the world, if we're playing small, if God's not in us, why would they be interested in that kind of a God? Your God is small. Your God is powerless. Your God can't influence anything. Now, they're not seeing God. They're not seeing Christ. They're seeing me. I have to own that, and I have to get out of the way and let God do what God does. So we listen, we look, and we remember or recognize that God never sends solo. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That, that ought to sound familiar. And it's true today. It might not be true if Jesus died on the cross and that was the end of the story, but that's not the end of the story. He comes back. Oops, spoiler alert. I hope I didn't spoil it for anybody. He comes back. He says he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. I tend to believe someone who comes back from the dead after predicting that he would do so. I don't see a long list of people that have accomplished that. This is why he gets my attention, my devotion, and my love. God never sends solos. He goes with us, but here's the other thing about that. If you read Moses' story, Moses is like, who, me? I can't go before Pharaoh. Now understand that the Pharaoh that he's talking about is the brother he was raised with. He knows this guy, probably better than anyone else, by the way. He knows the ins and outs. He knows how he reacts, what he thinks, how he maneuvers, all that. He's been trained the same way. He knows everything about him. But that's not, God who, not who God brings alongside Moses. As Moses begins to take action, then he starts to get other people that come along beside him. He gets his brother Aaron, who is apparently a better speaker than he was, if you read the text. He gets his sister Miriam. He gets a young assistant called Joshua, who's his understudy, and does some amazing things, and actually is the one who takes them into the promised land. But none of these people come alongside him before God called him. See, that's the scary part, and that's the part that we call faith. Because it'd be like, hey, uh, Bill, I need you to do this thing. Okay, God, I just need some support. Who are you going to send? I'm going to wait until I get all my people around me, and then I'm going to go. No, that's not the way it works. It's I go, and in that momentum, people come around me that God sends. Joshua doesn't come till later. Aaron comes pretty quick. Miriam comes a little later and so on and so on. But as you get momentum, God brings the right people and the right things into play. 
God doesn't send solos. He's with us, but he also has us. Or as we famously say in Texas, all y'all. That's in the New Build Testament. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, um, that's what I mean when I say God doesn't send solos. He's pre- his presence is there. Yeah, but we need to come together. And here's the thing. As I look out into this room, do you know what I see? I see opportunity. Now, they look like challenges. Some of them look like work. Some of them are scary. Some of them are frightening. Some of them are like, I really don't want to do that. But I see opportunity. For God is calling us to something bigger than ourselves. I see opportunities to impact our culture. I see opportunities to impact families, marriages, parenting, school culture. And I could go on. You could go on too, right? God's calling us to something. And if I ignore my piece of the call, maybe Claudia's been called to something awesome, and once she gets going, I'm supposed to come alongside whatever it is she's doing, but I'm too busy playing dodge call. So Claudia gets up out of her foxhole and starts going bravely forward, and God says, Bill, you need to help her. And I say, sorry, you've reached Bill. Please leave a message. What happens? I'm pretty sure that God's going to work anyway, but here's my great fear. For me, I'm going to miss out on the adventure of a lifetime. I'm going to miss out on that sense of meaning and purpose that we're all looking for deep down in our hearts. I'm going to miss what God has to offer. And the world is going to be a little less for us. Can God still do his thing? Absolutely, he's God. But wouldn't it be easier if I just answered the phone? Wouldn't it be easier if I answered whatever call that is? And, and I know the, probably the next question on your head is, I, what's the call? What, what am I being called to do? Well, thank God we're not all being called probably to the same thing because we're not all the same people. We don't have the same gifts, talents, abilities, and experiences. That's a good thing because that way we get more done. We can approach that magic everything that we talked about earlier. But here's how you start to listen for your call. There's something that's in your heart that you can't stop thinking about. And if you stop for a minute, you probably will figure out what that is. Every time a story comes on the news, there's one category of story that catches your attention. Or every time you hear about a certain topic or category, it sticks in your brain and it rolls over. It's that thing that you're thinking about when you wake up in the middle of the night. It's that thing that when you're finally in that moment of silence, I was going to say when the kids get off of school, but that's... In a couple weeks? No, no, no. (laughs) Touchy subject, don't bring that up. If you ever had a time where you're in silence and and your mind just kind of quiets, it probably drifts to this thing. What is that thing for you? That thing is how God knit you together. That thing is your call that's already in your heart. It's just waiting to be identified and to come out. That's what God's calling you to do. Now, there may be short-term things that God calls us to do. You know, God forbid another hurricane rolls through or Hurricane Harvey rolls through. Yeah, we're called to care for our neighbors, so we're going to do things that I'm maybe not comfortable with. I'm not even equipped for but it needs to be done. But overall, of the course of our lives, we are called because we are knit together by the God of the universe, and we are created for good works that he has prepared us to do. That's the And it's still coming today. So if I could invite us to...
to commit to a time of prayer. Over this next month, I would love for us to pray like our lives depended on it. Not our physical lives, maybe, but certainly our spiritual ones. That we would be refreshed and renewed and re-energized. That we would be a voice that carries out into the community and changes this world around us because I'm not happy with this world and you're not happy with this world. I'm pretty sure God's not happy with this world. Are we going to sit and not be happy or are we going to do something about it? I have a feeling that's what God's asking us. He's certainly asking me. As we commit to that time of prayer and we listen, recognize that God never sins solo. Recognize that he's probably going to ask for something that is more than what you have. And recognize that you are not enough. Gosh, Bill, that's so optimistic and cheerful. Recognize that he's going to ask you for more than you can do. But ask yourself this question. This is the question when you respond to God's call. Is it more than he can do through me? I bet you the answer is no. And if so, I'm fresh out of excuses. No more dodge call. No more straight to voicemail. Just me and God and us. All y'all. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us every day. We thank you for the people that you've put in our path things that you've put in our heart that you've knit us together to care for. We thank you for the world around us that you made perfect at one time, but again, we have messed it up. God, we're not smart enough to figure out how to fix it, but you are. We want somebody to do something, but today I'm asking for us to own the one thing that we can do through you. Live in us, make us what you are... Uh, have us become what you made us to be and let us impact the world around us. Invite us to the greatest adventure ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.